Greetings and salutations, cool cats and cuties. What's up and welcome to Two Nerdy Black Guys, also formerly known as Shooting the Shit with Two Nerdy Black Guys. I'm David. I'm also DJM. The other nerdy black guy, my co-host on my internet left, your internet right. From DKG Welp and all things Drunk Kids Gaming, the super fantabulous King Kaz, Brandon Cooper. What's up, Kaz? What is up, good sir? Oh, I cannot complain too much. I really can't. I'm actually feeling pretty good. Same. Actually... I'm actually really excited about this episode, too, because we're doing something very near and dear to my heart and my soul, Kaz. Tell the fine folks listening what it's all about. So this or or over the last uh, couple of weeks, we took a a a uh, journey through the Star Trek universe um, as it is its kind of first I don't I guess it's not a television series, right? But it's her series back. Um since Enterprise, I think, yes? Yes, Enterprise. Okay. So since since the series Enterprise, uh starring Scott Bakula. Um which I, how did that series hit for people? Like I I, I never remembered how that one In the beginning, went over. it really did not go over well. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, it only ended up getting about four seasons, and the general okay. consensus was by around its fourth season, third or fourth, was really when it really started to click, which is kind of a trend with pretty much every Star Trek series. Usually, the first two seasons are pretty not good. But we're not talking about those series today, Kaz. We are talking no, about no. the brand new series that is on CBS All Access, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, so this is... and it, it, It's weird for me uh, calling it a new series, right? Because it is yet another prequel series. Um, this dates back before... Uh, for 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 those who kind of look at the Star Trek universe by series, this dates back even before TOS. Yes, um, this series is supposed to be ten years before Star Trek: The Original Series, and it is on board the USS Discovery, the Federation Starship Discovery. Uh, however, it originally starts on the USS Shenzhou. And we are introduced mm-hmm. to its first officer, Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who people out there might know as Sasha from The Walking Dead. If you watch The Walking Dead and wonder what happened to Sasha, well, she went into space, she joined Starfleet, became a Starfleet officer, and became the first officer of the USS Shenzhou under Captain Philippa Giorgio, played by the amazing Michelle Yeoh. So, Kaz, that's that's really where Discovery starts off. We're on the, the USS yeah. Shenzhou, and Captain Giorgio is widely regarded as one of the most well-decorated captains in, in Starfleet. And, mm-hmm. Kaz, uh, no secret to anyone out there, I am a die-hard Trekkie. I'm a super-duper Trekkie. I'm a second-generation Trekkie. My mother was of the TOS generation, and growing up, we watched The Next Generation in Deep Space Nine together. We watched Star Trek Voyager. Uh, 
uh, I watched Enterprise and I've seen the movies and for me Discovery was uh, I was very excited for it. But Kaz, you yourself are not like a super Trekkie or or how familiar no, are you with Star I, Trek? I I have popped in and out of the Star Trek universe, right? So I've seen a lot of TOS, right? But I couldn't I couldn't like recollect any like is anything that that strangely comes to mind that wouldn't come to mind for anyone who's seen as much of TOS as I have. And I, I've seen a lot of it, oddly enough. Um I I've actually oddly so all right, here's the here's the thing, right? So I've seen a lot of TOS. I've seen a lot of the next generation. I watched a lot of Voyager. I watched spatterings of Deep Space Nine. I watched one ep- episode of Enterprise and I've seen a lot of the movies, but I couldn't tell you which ones. Okay. Um, I noticed you didn't mention the next generation. No, yeah, I, I, I said next generation. Okay. Or I thought okay. I said next generation. Second. I've seen TOS, I I've seen I TNG, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. Like, of anything, I've probably seen a lot of Voyager and TNG. Okay. Okay. Those are the ones I've probably of anything have watched the most of. All right. So here we are with Discovery. And mm-hmm. we are on the USS Shenzhou and it starts off on the Shenzhou. The first two episodes in a lot of ways are very much a standalone pilot. It's it's almost a movie by itself. The first two episodes of yeah. Discovery. And one thing that was very unique about Discovery uh, in comparison to a lot of Star Trek series so far was that it was very serialized. Uh, In the past, with exceptions here and there, Star Trek was always, as a TV series, was always very episodic. You'd have two-parters, you'd have the occasional three-parter. With Deep Space Nine, you'd have the, you had the Dominion War, that was a story arc over a few seasons. With Voyager, you had encounters with the Borg, you'd had encounters Mm -hmm. with Species 8472. Here and there, smatterings, time travel, temporal dynamics, all of that stuff. But in yeah. the case of Discovery, it really started with a story from the beginning, and it told it all the way up to episode nine. And it revolved around Michael Burnham, the first officer of the Shenzhou, and we see what happens on the Shenzhou and why that leads into the infamous Klingon War. So th- there's a reference point for the the casual Trekkie, as opposed to like yours truly, the the uber Trekkie. Uh, this this was a starting point in a lot of ways in a lot of people's minds for the Klingon War. Now, Kaz, you saw what happened with the first two episodes of Discovery. Now, let me ask you, just starting there, what did you think after the first couple of episodes? I thought. So I thought it was. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. I thought it was. Um, I I thought they were nice, right? I thought they were like they were really pretty. They were really nice, and like you said, they were almost movie. They were almost movie esque, 
in in those first couple episodes and i got a little worried right that i was like how do you keep up that that style throughout a star trek series right like in a and if that was it that's fine but you're gonna do a series of this how do you keep that up over that period and you can see that that those initial film styles kind of taper off which which is fine they did it in a really good way and then story-wise you you kind of come you 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 catch me with a bit of an interest right because what i know about the star star trek universe is you can pick up on kind of little key things right and they don't initially right out the gate hit you with the whole like Michael Burnham is a is a Vulcan thing, but you could tell by the way she talks, her mannerisms, all these things. It was like, oh, it's a Vulcan. Um, and then you come around to this realization, wait, she's not a Vulcan. Wait, but she's a Vulcan. And you, you kind of wrap your head around that for a little bit. For for me, from my perspective, you you probably might catch on a little bit quicker than I did with that. But I'm like, all right, there's that. And there's like... I, I thought the series was going to go somewhere totally different with those first couple episodes because there's this whole, like, the captain's like, yeah, it's time for you to, like, get your own ship and do all this stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, all right. Is this where we're going? Like, and me not knowing... <laughs> nope. The lore. Right. Me not knowing the lore of of Star Trek and maybe not knowing names that are in the history books... I don't know any of this stuff that that's coming to fruition, right? Like with all these clues that they're dropping, right? Cause there's a lot of stuff that I could tell is in those first few episodes that star Trek fans are going to pick up on, right? They're going to know, they're going to see those things and they're going to be like, Oh, 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 like, you know, it, it, it took me maybe like, three or four episodes to even figure out that this series was before TOS. Right, because <laughs> like, I'm looking at things and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that, 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 and I'm like, and I, I'm trying in my head to place this in a timeline, and I couldn't, and I just couldn't figure it out. So it, it took you a little bit to figure out that Michael Burnham was raised is human, but was adopted by Vulcans. One Vulcan in particular. Uh, that man yes. being Sarek, who is the father of Spock. Yes. Uh, and Michael was raised by Sarek and uh, Spock's human mother, whose name escapes me at the moment. Uh, and so Michael Burnham was raised in a Vulcan household to be logical and almost went to the Vulcan Science Academy, uh, but instead uh, ended up going to Starfleet for various reasons, which we find out later in the series. Not too different from Spock in some ways, her adoptive yeah. brother. I, I So I had to do a little bit of digging, right? Uh, uh, obviously, because like I said, I don't, I don't know the lore offhand as, as a Trekkie would, would. So... I kind of went out and, and did some research and like I read all the stuff about Spock. Amanda like, Grayson. Oh, okay. Amanda Grayson. Um, yes, Spock's mother. Uh, so I went out and I look at all that and I'm like, okay, you know, this is interesting um, because it, 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 it paints this dynamic, right, of um, – kind of following in the footsteps in a way, right? Like there, there's just this weird thing there. 
um, that that I guess you can latch on to. And it's interesting. It's interesting. But luckily, it's not a it's not necessary to need to know that information. Um, if you don't know that information, it doesn't change anything. It only enhances. And I like when things do that. And I like how this story kind of did that throughout. There's a lot of um, little moments and little Easter eggs and little tidbits that that pay homage to TNG and and TOS. But it's nothing that that outright hits you over the head. Um, there's nothing that like catches you, and if you don't know it, you're missing something. Um, there's a there's like a what, really what was great especially moment. good. What was especially good is that later in the series, uh, they actually introduce Sarek as a character, which I think is really important mm-hmm. to tie Discovery to the rest of the Star Trek franchise, as well yeah. as tying Michael Burnham as the lead character to the franchise. Go ahead. Um, but just like like little things for me that even I noticed, right? Like when you get to the ship, the Discovery, right? And you meet their captain, and on his desk is um, is it a nerval or whatever the hell the a little tribble. furry thing is called a tribble? The tribble, like, and that is one of the TOS episodes I remember, right? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that thing. <laughs> um, so like, there's, there's little cute things like that, but overall, yeah. I think as a as a series to kind of just not beat you over the head with star trek references it does super it does it it does it so well and i'm so glad all right so we're we're jumping to the point where michael burnham uh is now a mutineer she has been stripped mm-hmm. of her rank and she is going to be confined yeah. to prison for life for yeah. uh, committing mutiny on the shenzhou uh and in a battle with the Klingons, the USS Shenzhou is destroyed, and it costs nearly the entire crew their lives, including Captain Giorgio. Uh, the science officer Saru, a Kelpian, survives as well. And Michael Burnham, Actually, on her way... A couple, yeah. But you only but, uh, meet really specific people later on right. to know that they survived. Now, we get to the point where Michael Burnham is on her way back to Earth to be imprisoned and sentenced. And by a circumstance, she ends up uh, well, no, being transported. It's a, it's a yeah, transport. they're being transported to a mining planet. If and I correctly. she makes a stop at the USS Discovery that is commanded... By Captain Gabriel Lorca, along mm-hmm. with his first officer, Commander Saru. Yeah. Can I say, as as far as a lot of characters in this series go, and, and characters that I, I attach to myself to, I liked Lorca, man. I don't know oh, what yeah. it is about Lorca's a grizzled old war guy, but man, I love me some grizzled old war guys. Lorca's great. Lor- Lorca is the man. He really is. Uh, within the Star Trek community, at the beginning, he was very polarizing. He was very mm-hmm. polarizing. Because 
your Starfleet captains, they're not supposed to be so grizzled and hardened like Lorca. But as yeah. the series went on, it was like, okay, this dude is really the coolest. He's, he's such a warrior that this is exactly the guy that's needed for a war with the Klingon Empire. He's exactly the guy that's needed. So yeah, si- like- since we're we're kind of on the same page with with Captain Lorca, who is absolutely a a badass in my opinion, despite his PSD, PTSD, his his very obvious PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the the character that I want to get your opinion on bef- before we move on to some of the others is Commander Saru. What did you think of him? Because the thing about Saru is that. Every Star Trek series has a character like this. Uh, yeah. In the way that he is alien and he has to interact with humans and mm-hmm. he has to find a way to kind of live with that. However, so in the case I, of Saru, uh, there is one thing about Saru that was kind of different from a lot of characters like this in other Star Trek series. Whether it was Spock or Data or Seven of Nine or, or Odo from DS9, they all kind of went out of their way to try a, and adapt to being on a ship with humans and, as they say, become more like humanity. Saru mm-hmm. never did that. And I always thought that was really interesting about him is that he never really well, tried to be more like a human. He was always... A Kelpian. It was like he said about his species. They're bred to sense death. They're bred to be fearful of things. And he he never really got over that, which I thought was really interesting. What did you think of Saru? I so I thought it was going to be kind of weird at first, right? I thought he was going to kind of be this like I initially like so so very very initially. I thought he was going to kind of be like a data kind of slash comic relief in a, in a way. Cause like for some reason we have to always have that in TV series now. Um, but I felt like he kind of was this connective tissue character, right? He's the, he, he's the character that's there, right? Because like you said, every Star Trek series has this kind of character. And not only is he the, is he the kind of fish out of water among the humans. Cause usually a lot of star Trek series are filled with humans. He's also the, the very by the book character, which also every star Trek series that, that I have viewed generally has, right. You have these very by the book by what Starfleet says, these are our protocols. These are our things. These are what we're supposed to do in every situation kind of characters. Um, and I was like, okay, that's cool. And I, I enjoy that and I'm fine with that. Um, cause I was like, and, and this is before it was introduced. I was like, oh, we don't have a comic relief and God damn, that's great. Like, um, cause you know, we don't always need that. Um, and I liked for for probably what most people would think his character flaws being out front, which I don't think were ever character flaws. I think those were just his character to be like 
this isn't what we should do. You know, like we should very much follow this. We should very much do these things like stuff like that. And, and very, very initially to make a weird reference, I thought he was going to kind of be like this Krillin character who kind of shows bravery and then instantly is defeated constantly. Like, and I don't know. I just, I just, he wasn't any of the things I expected of him, and, and it it allowed me to enjoy the character. I agree. And what I also liked is that he provided a really good contrast to Lorca. Uh, and I always think that having a contrast between the captain and the first officer is always kind of a good thing. I think Voyager yeah, did like- this really well with with Catherine Janeway and Chakotay, the, the captain and the first officer, kind of not always seeing eye to eye on everything. I thought that was that was really good. And another thing is that early on in the show, Captain Lorca and the science officer, Lieutenant Stamets, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now. I did not, and I still kind of do not like Lieutenant Stamets at all. I don't like that dude. He really got on my nerves. Uh, that was the, the 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 science nerdy dude, right? With the yeah, blonde hair? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was him. You know what? All right, here's my thing about him, right? Is, okay, yes. is they paint right. him... They paint him initially as the character you're going to hate, right? And you're like, oh, man, fuck that guy. Fuck that asshole. He's a fucking prick. And, and I'm just like. I was so ready for Lorca to just <laughs> wail on him. I swear. But I felt like, I felt like to a certain extent, a lot of his character stuff, right, was valued, right? He, he is there because he wants to he he wanted to to be in starfleet because he wanted to make scientific leaps and bounds right but then along comes this war and something he's working on happens to align with putting starfleet at a position to be ahead in the war and he's not happy about that right he wants to make scientific frontier for the betterment of people not not just for the betterment of of their war and he's kind of just he's kind of pissed throughout like a lot of this that everything that he's working on isn't going to be what he wanted it to be and yeah he's looking for a lot of recognition which which I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, but I can kind I can kind of I feel where his character is coming from. I understood the the contrast between him and Captain Lorca because it's kind of been a question, uh, an unspoken question within Star Trek fandom that that was discussed here on Discovery. Um, is Starfleet? a military organization or are they a space exploration organization? Mm -hmm. I've always seen it as they are both. They are explorers with military power. If necessary from the very beginning of discovery, whether it was captain Giorgio or Michael Burnham or Lieutenant Stamets, uh, they were always saying even to the Klingons that they were 
a peaceful people. They were exploring peacefully. They want to communicate. They were not out to conquer or dominate anyone. They simply wanted to explore and discover and communicate. Uh, the USS Discovery was always a science vessel more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, and they and, they, and then they the do war hit happened. You with that. They do hit you with that a lot, right? Is they're just like, yo, this is a, a science vessel and a lot of the times you you hear people say and you even hear Lorca say like like when I when they put me in charge of the ship I got put in charge of a bunch of nerds and scientists you know like these people aren't soldiers they're not they're not really trained for these things um and that's what a lot of it is right you do have very military class people in Starfleet but a lot of it is about scientific research and and furthering scientific discovery. Um, but you still have this kind of military. But they are starships. They are mm-hmm. starships. They use nautical ranks. There is a ranking system that is a military ranking system. So, and there is a military academy where cadets graduate, like Cadet Tilly. Oh God. Oh, God. I could not, for the life of anything, stand this character. Yes. Oh, my God. Kaz, I will say one of my favorite moments of the series so far was when, I think maybe in episode three or episode four, when Burnham officially got assigned to Discovery and she Mm -hmm. ended up rooming with Cadet Tilly. And when she was just babbling on and on and on. And Burnham, uh, she just gave her a look. Like, you, you know the look I'm talking about, Cass. Yeah. She just gave her the look, like, just stop. If you don't stop talking right now, I will end you. And that, that was the look that I was so happy to see because she is, ugh. I'm I'm so tired of characters like this in TV now. Like there are so many characters like this in in TV and cartoons and movies. I'm so tired of characters like Cadet Tilly. I'm so tired of them. Yeah. No, it's it's just I don't know, it's so it's I understand that people like that exist, right? That's that's fine. That doesn't mean they're not fucking annoying. Right. But then then the thing is, the thing is, how how would that person have made it through Starfleet? Well, like, I think that that was the interesting thing was one she said She's going to be a captain someday. So she she obviously has some drive and some ambition. And also there was the episode at the beginning where she was exercising with Burnham where they were wearing the disco shirts, the the much talked about disco shirts for their mm-hmm. run around the starship. And when Burnham told her, you know, you should try and eat better and and Get your runtime down a little bit, and this will help you, you know, get promoted. This will help you get noticed. And at first, Tilly was like, oh, no, I, I don't think I can do it. But then she was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then 
later on in the episode, it was like, okay, she's actually doing it now. I think that Cadet Tilly is a little awkward and a little goofy, but I think she has a certain amount of motivation and drive. I think she she is trying to succeed and do good things despite herself. I think that's where it comes from. Like she knows that she's kind of goofy, but she's going to try and rise above that. Which in a weird way mm-hmm. I kind of respect, but she's still annoying. Yeah. Like <sighs> I feel like there would have just been a better way to go about it, right? Like, like there, there, I don't like it's it's she's written written for character relief, and it just feels like so weird, like to have that there. Like you could have come out with a kind of a quirky, unsure about their self character, and it would have probably been fine, right? Like. You know who she is, Kaz? She's the new Wesley Crusher. Is is this is this what Wesley was? Like I don't remember a lot of the Wesley. He wasn't like he wasn't awkward. TNG. He w- he wasn't awkward. He just overstepped a lot. Mm-hmm. A- and really got on the bridge crew's nerves because he was super smart and he overstepped a lot. Until the that's where the shut up Wesley meme came from, because Wesley wouldn't shut up. And I don't think that you'll see a meme of Michael Burnham giving Tilly the stink eye, but there really needs to be one because I I felt that I felt that in my soul, Kaz. I felt it in my soul. Yeah, it's 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 definitely I don't know. It's just it's definitely just such a weird character. Just to, it's just such a weird character, man. Weird is the word, and I'm I'm not entirely a fan of Tilly. That might yeah. be my one ding on the show right now so far. Uh, now that we've covered the characters for the most part. Uh, let let's jump in. Uh, we were in. We're on Discovery. Captain Lorca. He he's he's kind of a grizzled war vet who's a little bit on the shady side. I well, think. yeah. So so for from what we know, we're we're months into the war between the Federation and the Klingons. Um, even and and we're learning that kind of. Both sides at this point are are starting to be drained a little bit. Um, the the Klingons, while powerful, aren't as unified as uh uh what is it? Tol Tuvok uh, Takuvma. Takuvma wanted them to be right. So so part of starting this this whole war was Takuvma wanted to reunite the Klingon Federation and, and make it great again and make it powerful and make it a, a force to stand against the Federation. Um, that was kind of his whole plan, um, which, you know, kind of falls apart a little bit with him dying, um, which I think is really, really interesting. 
Um, which I, I guess is part of just the initial lore to have that happen. But like, I feel like it, it's a really interesting thing to just have this guy who has this grandiose plan and then instantly kill him off. But you're now so far, you're, you're, you're so far past step one that you have to keep going. Right. So the Klingons are like, all right, you know what? We'll back you in this, in this, in this fight. Right. Like, and we'll see where this goes and we'll see where this takes us. And if you win this war, then, you know, you'll, you'll be a great person. Um, and even in his death, in that initial battle, like because him becoming this like kind of greatly highly praised person um and so now we're we're months into this battle um and starfleet is kind of reaching just for ways to win this goddamn fight which is part of what discovery is all about right they're trying to figure out this propulsion system to get a ship pretty much anywhere in the star system at any time to, to help turn the tide of the fight. Um, and you also find out kind of at this time that, that call one of the other, uh, Klingons is looking for a way to give the Klingons an upper hand. Um, and he finds out that the ship of the, well, he knows that the ship of the dead has this cloaking technology that allows them to, to be unseen so he wants to use that to help front the Klingons uh, and push them further into this, it, push them further ahead in the fight. So both sides are kind of looking for an advantage. Um, and I, I found that really interesting, especially like as, as just like a war thing in general. I found that really interesting. Okay. Um, so we're in the midst of the war and you <laughs> mentioned that the Klingons have the cloaking technology. Uh, the Federation, yeah. however, has some unique technology of their own, specifically the Discovery. And we're talking about the Spore Drive. Now, when I first heard the term Black Alert, it was kind of like, whoa, what is this? I've been watching Star Trek my whole life. What is this? What's, what's going yeah. on? This is nothing that has ever happened in Star Trek before. And I was right. The Spore Drive was a way that was found to move across the vast reaches of space in an instant by way of what is known as the the cilia, which is kind of like a, a network of organisms across the universe that, that were kind of interlinked in some way. So this was a super powerful... OP kind of like unobtainium power that the discovery had. The yeah. only thing is that it takes a lot to power it. It took another Federation ship. It destroyed them. It, it ended up getting them killed. Uh, they discovered a creature which turned out to be something of an interdimensional creature, the Tardigrade, which does exist on Earth. It's just very, very tiny. And once that stopped working, it ended up with, I think, which was a really cool character moment for Lieutenant Stamets, 
he injected tardigrade DNA into himself. He merged with the tardigrade, yeah. and he became the control for the spore drive. And that was pretty wild and crazy and cool. Uh, and yeah. what did you think of that, Cass? I mean, he he always said he wanted... He, he he was a man driven by his passion and driven by his research and his and the what he wanted right so they were having these discussions of like hey we have to find an organism almost maybe close to a human to put this thing in and you're like you're i'm my eyes are already darting around the screen i'm like who's going to do it who's going to do it somebody's going to inject themselves who's going to do it? who's going to do it and then it, it i was like this motherfucker's gonna do it himself. Cause one, he's a greedy dude, and two, he just he wants to further his research. And at what better way? Like as soon as he saw the 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 tardigrade, he was just he was so jealous of it, right? He's just like this this creature exists and it can talk to these things that I wish I can talk to. And and, and it can it, literally it, explore the entire universe. Right. Um and you, you get this kind of thing where it's just like he he sees that and he wants that he he craves that um and i just i thought that was cool selfish but cool but also at the same time it was very like you know it, it's it was selfish in such a good way but i just i still like you said it's it's goddamn cool and it helped in the long run it helped in mm-hmm. the long run uh to the point where the federation Ended up getting a bit of the up, the upper hand yeah. for uh, the tenure of this series. Now I want yeah, to talk to you a little bit. That... Go ahead. Okay, Cass. Go, go. Um, well, I was just going to say you find back... out that they used it a few times, right? You you kind of there's this little jump where you find out that they have been using it successfully to to help the Federation. Yes. Um, before we get back into the war, uh, like any good Star Trek series, there were a few standalone episodes where we <laughs> explored new life and new civilizations and ran into uh, one rogue gentleman in particular, Harry Mudd, played by Rain Wilson. Uh, <laughs> what did you think of, of Harry Mudd, Cass? Because th- this was a character from TOS, from an episode called Mudd's Women, uh, Harry Mudd was something of a criminal, a rogue, uh, a ne'er-do-well amongst the Alpha Quadrant. Uh, and he ended up having a run-in with Captain Lorca and, and Discovery on, on a Klingon prison ship where we run yeah. into another character, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, what did you think about um, Harry Mudd? He was interesting. It was, he was kind of, uh, <sighs> He seemed out of place, but there have been so many characters like that throughout Star Trek that are always these characters that just seem out of place for what the rest of the series is, right? You have, like, Q and, like, these other characters that have just existed that you just... Sometimes you just don't understand. Well, that that was always the point of Harry Mod because he's... What you, at best, you might call him a Federation dissident. 
He does not like the Federation. He does not like what they do. He does not like what they stand for. He's one of those people that says, just let everybody explore space and do whatever they want. And I'm not going to let the Federation tell me anything. They're not going to put me in jail. They're not going to arrest me. They're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want because I'm Harry Mudd. And he's out of place in the series by design. And there was one episode in particular that was very, very Star Trek. That was the time loop episode. What'd you think of the time loop episode, Cass? That is, that was like so TOS, like TOS, STNG esque, like to a T, man. Like, because you, you have this one person for whatever reason that figures it out, right? There's a, there's always a person in Star Trek that can figure out the thing that's happening. And it makes and, it makes sense that it's Stamets because now his mind is all expanded and whatnot. It makes sense yeah. that it was him. Yeah. Um and and you know, he can he can jump through time and space and you know. So time is not really a thing to him. Um but I the thing with any time loop episode to me, right? It always revolves around two things, right? It's it's the amount of times that it happens and then the ease of defeat to it. And and I feel like those things in this episode were so TV-esque and around everything else that I, with this series that I thought was great, I felt like that one bothered me the most, right? Because what I would have really, really loved in that episode, if he tries all these different ways to stop him, right? And sometimes comes close and then always fails or sort doesn't get close enough and fails. And like you have this kind of back and forth between these two trying to outsmart each other rather than what it ended up being is like bolstering this love story that, and, and I've I've said this on, enough times on this show. I, I just hate when I feel like love stories are thrown at me and I don't always need them and I don't always want them. And I felt like right here in this particular episode, it's like, Hey, 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 are you watching? Hey, look, Hey, we're going to make them kiss. Hey, Hey, we're going to make them kiss. Do you care? And really, I'm like, Kaz? I, I really don't. I don't. You, you didn't, <laughs> you know, one we're gonna talk about lieutenant tyler in a second i've been noticing this a lot with a lot of people i talk to and a lot of tv shows and in anime and whatever there's this weird aversion to romances that i've been seeing it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting i see a lot of people that are just like that are always saying, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care, don't do this, don't do this, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I'm, I'm seeing this a lot lately, and, and I find this really interesting, because in the case so, of Lieutenant Tyler, I don't mm-hmm. think that this was something that was just kind of thrown in out of nowhere. I think this was something that, as soon as he ended up on the ship after Lorca saved him from the Klingon prison... Like once he got on the ship, it seemed like he he was kind of giving Michael Burnham the look almost right away. Yeah, the, it it's there, but like, all right. 
in comparison for me throughout this series, right? That love story, the 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 Lieutenant Tyler and the and and the Michael Burnham love story, I don't care about. I don't care. But the the um Stammons and the Doctor, I think is so much more of an interesting dynamic, right? And not not only because because it's a gay relationship, but because you you get to this point where where he does something to himself that is putting him at risk, but it is helping further his research, right? And he has this person that he loves and loves him, and this person is just doing everything they can to help him, right? And it's just like, as long as you think about your health, and as long as you think about this, and as long as you think about that, he's like, yeah, no, I am thinking about those things. And when trouble arises, I love the moment between him and Tilly where she's like, yo, something's going on. You should probably like go see the doctor. And he's like, well, here's why I can't. And it's such a good moment of, of care and love to be like, I can't because if I do, it puts him in a position where he has to tell people there's something wrong with me. If that happens, they take me away from him. And, you know, I, one, I want to continue my research Two, I like being around the person that I, uh, I'm with. Right. And he's like, and it, or if he doesn't tell anyone and then they find out, then they're going to take his credentials away from him because he didn't do his job, you know? And he's just like, and it puts me at an even further position because I did this to myself, you know? And that, that dynamic and that love story and that entanglement, I cared so much more about because it seemed a lot, it, it, it seemed a lot more genuine and it seemed to fit the story more than. Burnham and Tyler to me like the Burnham and Tyler thing just seemed like it was there I completely agree with you with Stamets and the Doctor but I'm gonna make the case for Lieutenant Tyler and Michael Burnham I'm gonna make the case for them here you have Lieutenant Tyler who was a Starfleet officer in his own right who had as they mentioned spent seven months in a Klingon prison he was beaten he was tortured he was absolutely brutalized so he was saved and put back on Discovery. And Captain mm-hmm. Lorca made him the security officer. All right, cool. Here is a little bit of normalcy for Lieutenant Tyler. Good for him. At the same time, the series revolves around Michael Burnham. And one of the things that is one of her focal points is that she was raised Vulcan, thinking like a Vulcan, acting like a Vulcan, logically, 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 logically. But biologically, she's still human. And as we hear in her logs, like Specialist Michael Burnham, the uh, not necessarily the captain's log that you see in every Star Trek series, but it was like that. And this, a lot of that was her coming to grips with her human side of going with her Vulcan upbringing. And I think that Lieutenant Tyler was good for her in that regard. It wasn't just Tyler kind of coming on to her. It was the fact that when they first sat down and ate together, afterwards, Michael Burnham admitted that she found him intriguing, which in one way, is exactly what you expect a Vulcan to say about someone they're attracted to, 
while at the same time, that is a huge moment for her in terms of being a character and evolving and understanding that she is human and she's going to experience these human emotions. And the fact that it's a return to normalcy and being around humans and being on a Starfleet vessel for a Lieutenant Tyler, it's really good for both of them. In a lot of ways, these two are helping each other through a lot. And I see that later on in the series, you see Tyler really struggling mentally with his PTSD and having trouble sleeping and just trying to maintain some sense of reality. And Michael Burnham is a really good focal point for him. And I really appreciate having the idea that there is someone that you can look to and have a certain level of comfort that you don't have with anybody else. And in the case of Michael Burnham, this is the first guy she's ever really taken a liking to. And for her, especially coming from her Vulcan uprising, this is really big for her. So this is, I feel like this is a really good evolving human point for both of them. I think that both of them are, are doing a lot of good things for one another. And and that's what I like I mean, about I it. Still... It is a relationship of two people that are really helping one another. I mean, I still think he's a Vulcan. I mean, uh, not a Vulcan, uh, a Klingon spy, but, you know. You know, that's what everyone is saying. That is what so many people are saying. And I cannot believe it. Even with what they showed in the last episode with Lorel, uh, the, the Klingon defector, the woman who was his torturer, even with what they so showed... So they say... I, I, I don't believe it. I believe... I believe Lieutenant Tyler's story is what I'm saying. I believe that he is human. He's not a Klingon spy. He might be Klingon mind-controlled. I'll say that. He might have some sort of mind control going on. He might be a sleeper agent. I don't know. But I'll say spy, no. Sleeper cell, maybe. Because you know the Klingons did something to him. You know Lorel did some stuff to him. Especially after what we saw in the last episode. Where she she was confined in the brig on Discovery. And mm-hmm. she, Tyler went to her in the brig. And they exchanged some words and we saw some visions. Make no well, mistake, the, um, s- something happened. More of the thing that stood out to me than anything else that the is the thing that she says at the end of that, rather than anything else, is the, I'm not going to let them hurt you, right? And that stood out to me more than anything. And, and that, like... It just rings really weird to me that, like, there's something going on that that either, like you said, sleeper cell or something. But she there there's something going on there. I'm telling you that man is a spy. I'm looking at I'm his face sleeper right now. Cell. And spy. Not spy. Not spy, but sleeper cell. Because... DJM says sleeper cell, and I say you remove some of those letters, and you add a Y, spy. You're you're reaching, my friend. You're reaching. <laughs> I, I hope you did your yoga today, because that was a stretch. 
Uh, only because, like, y- you see his PTSD. His PTSD is legit. And just like Lorca, his PTSD was legit. I mean, when after his evening with, with the Admiral, uh, he, he ended up grabbing his gun and was like, I'm sorry, I haven't had anybody in, in my bed with me in a while. It's just, whew, that really spooked me. And the Admiral was like, oh, no, you are done. You are done. As soon as we are near the nearest star base, you are done. And yeah, Lorca's at that point where he might be kind of done. As we find out at the very, very, very end of this first bit of season one of Discovery, uh, where on the ninth episode, the ship of the dead is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And... They have to take one more jump. And Lieutenant Stamet says, this is the last jump I'm doing. I'm done. Yeah. And Man, when- if that was not ominous, like, yeah. that was such an omen for, like, some weird shit's about to happen, just so you know. Yeah, yeah obviously. And what I... What really got me for a second was Lorca was like, are you, are you sure? Like, you don't have to. We'll, we'll just warp it back to the starbase. We we don't have to. And Stamets mm. was like, no, I, I can do one more. I got one more in me. I was like, okay, all right. And then they did the jump, and they ended up somewhere. Now, yeah, there's some, there's some interesting stuff, right? Because you'll also see Lorca pull up his console. Yeah. Some, some weird shit in there. He like, he hits the override command, and he puts in some yeah. new coordinates. That's what happens. Yeah. And then they do the jump, and it really hurts Stamets a lot. And Discovery ends up who knows where. Right. So, so one of the things... Um, is is people talk about like you know uh, Star Trek and it's kind of alternate dimensions and and all these things that it 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 has and alludes to a lot of the time, um, and the the whole thing with the the ship being called the Discovery and like you know uh, it, it being this thing that like if they had this technology why did they never use it in any other series. Like I, I saw yeah. a lot of people well, talking about. So like, well, we we have to. My get to answer to that things. was, right. I I figured the answer to that was already pretty clear. Once we saw what happened to the tardigrade, and then Lieutenant mm-hmm. Stamets, I think it was pretty clear. You you don't think they could have found a way to refine that? <laughs> no, no, no. Because the the tardigrade creatures were super rare, and again, this was ten years before the original series, so something this advanced, they probably couldn't do in 10 years. Mm, So I I do not hold to the alternate universe theory. I don't hold to the mirror universe theory. I don't hold to the J.J. Abrams universe theory. (laughs) As of right now, I'm going with the idea that this is the main Star Trek timeline with the 1% possibility, 1% possibility that it is the J.J. Abrams universe. I'll leave that for 1%. Uh, 
I didn't even think about that. Like I, 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 the way I thought about this was where this, this series seems like it's going. I feel like this ship just ended, ended up lost forever. Is what happens. Okay. All right. That that's that's an interesting thought. That is an interesting thought. I really hadn't thought about that one at all, truthfully. Um, especially how they mentioned that one time where Stamets had come back from a jump and he looked over at Tilly and saw said, Captain? And yeah. Tilly was like, Wait, what? And <laughs> that that sent the Star Trek fandom into a frenzy like, Oh, Tilly's gonna become a captain. Oh my god, oh my god. And, you know, whatever. So I figured that they'll get out of this eventually. But I guess we'll have to see in January. Uh, Star Trek Discovery will be back uh, in January. It's going on a a mini, mini break. Not too long. Uh, But after the first nine episodes, I can say this is the first Star Trek series in a long time. Well, first one since DS9, really. That made me excited, more excited after each episode. After each episode, I was like, oh man, I, I'm ready for the next one right now. And I love when shows do that because I don't get that a lot. But when I do, it's, it's very real and very genuine. It feels like a Star Trek series to me in a lot of ways. Uh, but it feels different enough from the original series and the next generation to where it's not trying to copy them like some other shows that are on right now. But it feels like a Star Trek series so far. You, you could quibble about the uniforms or how the Klingons look or, or whatever. You know what? But, well, but at its you know, core, you, you can say the, it is, you could say for, the, for the me, it is a Star Trek series that is very much in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like the uniforms, actually. I really, really like the uniforms in this series. Um, like, I, I fucking enjoy the fuck out of the uniforms in this series. The white um, uniform that the Doctor was wearing, especially. That was that was the one for right, me, the, right. the white uniform. That, that's for you, man. I like the black ones. Um... I, I like kind of the the jet black with like the the different colors on the uniforms to show your ranking rather than mm-hmm. well which they've always had I, I was going to say something dumb but um like but that just being in the trim um also I want I want a black badge for Star I want a black Star Trek fucking somebody the send Delta me badge. one of those um. I, I personally, yeah, when I when I go to the gym, I'm totally going to buy a disco shirt and wear it when I go to mm-hmm. the gym. <laughs> what was up with that whole party? You know, that whole episode, man. Just I don't. That whole episode just bothers did, me, man. Did, did you have a problem with with the fact <laughs> that they were playing Wyclef Jean? Did that bother you, Kaz? Yes. Why? Wait, that was why, great. Of all things, to make it into the future, Wyclef? Wyclef. Yes, right. why not? Why not? Okay. Would you rather Riff Raff be in the future? Is that what you want? That's what's going to be in the goddamn future. What's wrong with that? I, I would, I'm would. i perfectly fine with Wyclef Jean being in the future. I'm okay with it. 
You got to remember, 300 years from now, somebody like Wyclef Jean is going to be looked at, or, or rather the Fugees in particular. They're, they're going to be looked at as some of the greatest and most influential composers of the, t- of our time. 300 years from now in the future. So why wouldn't they play something from Wyclef? What would they play, Kaz? What would you have them play? I don't know, man. I, I have no idea. Make up something, dude. Hire hire people and come up with future music. What would that future... See, I thought about that. I thought about that. And, and I thought, what would future music sound like? What would it sound like? I have no I don't know man I'm not I'm not a writer because with the next generation all they did was jazz and classical with DS9 yeah. they had Ben Sisko occasionally singing in the Las Vegas lounge that that's all that was there was nothing like that on Voyager at all with Discovery at least they were doing something that seemed appropriate especially since it was They were at war, and it was a party, and they were looking to blow off some steam. And it looks like most of the crew is relatively young. So, to me, it made sense. And for me, personally, I love the idea that 300 years from now in the future, humanity will still appreciate Wyclef Jean. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Who who do you hope, Kaz, that 300 years from now, uh, musicians 300 years from now will still be appreciated? I have no idea, dude. I couldn't even remotely think. Like, See? I couldn't even I couldn't even begin to like fathom who that would be. Well, it's it's like classical musicians. They were hundreds of years ago, and you'll still see. <laughs> performances of classical concertos in the future there, there might be you know people that still appreciate Wyclef Jean do you remember that episode like early on like in one of the first seasons of Futurama early on where um Fry got his apartment and then he put on Sir Mix-a-Lot and Leela said turn that classical music off she called yeah. Sir Mix-a-Lot classical music well, yeah, I think I, I I I get that, and that's kind of that's kind of funny. Like, yeah, same thing. I don't know, same dude. thing. Kaz, do you just not like Wyclef John? Is that no? It? I like Wyclef John. I just feel I don't know. I, like, like you said, right? I don't. Oh, man, I don't know, dude. I, I just I don't know. I don't know that that part. <laughs> that whole episode just bothers me. That that was the most trekkiest of trekkie episodes. Of Discovery. Even more than the Pavo episode. And the Pavo episode was straight out of the next generation. That was such a TNG episode. Oh, yeah. I liked that episode, though, dude. <laughs> oh, it was good. It was really good. And Go getting to, the, to yeah, see Saru. A little bit and, too high. And seeing Saru and, and how his mind works and how the Kelpians are, it, it really provided some great insight into his character. Yeah. I, I gotta say, overall, for me, 
Star Trek Discovery, the first nine episodes, it was really, really enjoyable. I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it. I really did. This is the rare example of a Star Trek series having a really good beginning. And if the beginning of Star Trek Discovery was as good as this, I hope it gets five or six seasons, man, because I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all the way in. But again, I'm a Trekkie, so I'm biased as fuck. But how about you, Mm -hmm. Kaz? What do you think? I'm interested to see more. I definitely am. I'm definitely interested to see where this goes. Okay. Well, Kaz, I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed yeah. Star Trek Discovery. Well, I'm, I'm interested right up until they kill Lorca. Once they kill, if if and once they kill Lorca, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Nah, I'm out. they're not gonna kill Lorca. They're not gonna kill Lorca. They they won't do that because you can't kill the captain. What do you mean? They started the series off killing a captain. Yeah, but Captain Giorgio wasn't the captain of the name of the ship. Like, if it were Voyager, you can't kill Captain Janeway. Like, this is the Discovery. They're not going to kill off the captain of the Discovery. I guess. I guess. This is true. Alright, good talk. Well, like I said, Kaz, I'm really glad you en- you enjoyed it. I really yeah. am. And... Overall, I've been seeing mostly positive response for Star Trek Discovery, even for being on CBS All Access, which I bought (laughs) and paid for, which I did. Thank you. And yes, Star Trek Discovery did good enough to where it got another season. So fuck the haters. Star Trek Discovery lives. Thank you. So I'm excited. I'm happy. No, I'm, I'm a satisfied I'm, customer. I'm excited cast. and happy too. I just like I'm 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 over people putting everything in a million places, and I'm just like, just please, like, like I understand, like, may, just can we consolidate? Can we come to terms? Can we be friendly? Can we just find a way, like, to make these things easier that I'm not having to pay, like, or at least. At least give me a two ninety nine option where it's like, hey, for two ninety nine you can only watch one series. Cool. I'll give you I'll give you three bucks so I can watch Star Trek Shrek Discovery. I don't want access to all of CBS Interactive. I don't care about any other show on your goddamn you thing. Like, you don't want to watch Young Sheldon? No, no. I, I actually want to swear we've I, had this conversation. Here, here's this. Here's Has, this. Here's I swear thing, we've right? had this conversation. <laughs> we haven't. I don't think we have, at least not in a recorded format. Maybe we have. Someone remind me. But I'm going to say this. I, you know what? Charge me the $4.99 so, and, and deny me access from everything else. How about that? That's what I want. Do that. But you're me. saying you, you would pay for Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. If, if I could literally only pay for that, then I would, I would pay for that. Like the fact that it's like, hey, you have access to all of these things is is this thing where it's like, no, I don't I don't want access to all those things. I just I really don't. I only was interested in this one thing. Um, and, you know, that that just it, it always makes it harder, like with with these like one off. Very 
isolated things like like a TV station having its own streaming thing that its own shows are on when it's like, well, fuck, I'm glad you're you're expanding into doing things on the Internet. But then I'm still fucked because I don't want to pay you the amount that I'm paying Netflix, whereas I get this kind of semi a la carte thing from Netflix where literally I have no interest in anything else on your network. Like, and that's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. But as a positive, because I want to end this on a positive note, enough people out there bought it for discovery. Enough people. And I'm glad. And for me, that's that's good enough. That, to me, feels like fans of Discovery and fans of Star Trek, we accomplished something. Uh, Star Trek is still alive, and that makes me happy. Yeah. No, I'm 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 super duper happy for that, right? Like, because that was one of the things we talked about with it being in this realm where where it's it's very 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 like you're you're buying in just for that. You're literally buying in just for that because I I I don't know anybody that would give a fuck about Young Sheldon like as a as a thing. So I don't know I don't know who's paying either. for that. I right like. like I'm I'm dead serious when I say if there's anyone that's buying CBS access and it's not for Discovery, I I don't know who. Let me be. let us know. I want to know. Let who you us are. know if you are buying CBS access and you're watching something other than Star Trek Discovery. Send us a tweet on the Twitter Twitter. He's at King Kaz, and you can check out all of the other stuff he does, like DKG Welp. You can check out his photography uh, at King Kaz Photo on his Instagram. You can follow him on Twitter and just all of the other stuff he's doing at about.me slash King Kaz. Did I get them all? Yep. All right. I'm DJM, everybody. You can check out my stuff at DeltaJulietMike.com. There's the anime podcast of some sort. There's It's In Season. There's this fine podcast, Two Nerdy Black Guys, and every other episode on demand at DeltaJulietMike.com. And you can also check it out in iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places podcasts can be aggregated. And yes, everybody... Two Nerdy Black Guys and all the other Delta Juliet Mike podcasts are on tune in. So if you have one of those fancy smart speaker devices that connects to tune in or wherever, you can do the whole Alexa play podcast, Two Nerdy Black Guys, or Alexa play podcast, anime podcast of some sort. You can do that. We're on tune in. We're on the interwebs. We're moving into the future. We're exploring new worlds and new civilizations, and we're boldly going where no podcast has gone before. Or King Kaz, this is mm. DJM. I think we both enjoyed Star Trek Discovery quite a bit. Kaz, I'm going to let you pick the next show. I have an idea for something, but I'm not exactly sure where to watch it. So we'd have to do a little bit of the research. I think it's on the Amazons. Hit me. Uh, but Throw it at me. Have you heard uh, of Blade of the Immortal? No, I don't believe I have. Okay, so before before we before we wrap this up, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss you. I don't know how to spell. Um, D-A-V-I-D. So this is a a series um, 
taken and adapted from from anime and a manga. Um, why is my uh, why is my thing all messed up here? Um, Again, called Blade D-A-V. of the Immortal. A V. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and it is from uh, Takashi Mike. If if you uh, if you know him, um, Mike. And this is his 100th film as well. Uh, okay. Okay. It's a Takashi Miike film. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Ooh. Okay. You mentioned that it was Takashi Miike. So, so it got my attention. And I'm seeing the cover, the, the film poster, and it's like, okay, this is definitely a Takashi Miike film. So mm-hmm. y- you had my curiosity. Now you have it's my a very, attention. It's a very um, journey series a young girl wants to avenge the death of her family and she seeks out the assassin that can help her do so is this a series or a movie a movie okay okay all right all right okay and i've been i've been looking for a reason to check this out and i think this is the greatest reason to do it I think this is a pretty darn good reason and i do enjoy takashi Miike quite a bit so I think I'm ready to lock this in, Kaz. What do you say? I am as well. I'm glad you're in. All I'm glad right. You're in. On the next episode of Two Nerdy Black Guys, Kaz and DJM will check out Blade of the Immortal. Mm-hmm. So for all of you out there listening, for my podcast partner, King Kaz, this is DJM. Thank you for listening to Two Nerdy Black Guys. We Thank hope you. you tune in next time. <laughs>